0: Hello church, my name is Patty, and we'll be reading today's passage in the scriptures uh, from John 19, 1 to 16. Please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I, am, I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of man. When Pilate heard the statement, he said he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So then Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone of Pavement in Amaragabatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is a reading of God's word.
1: All right, well, good morning everyone and welcome to True North Church. Um, That was a super cute presentation because, and I'm gonna say an unpopular opinion, especially for uh, all non-parents, that went like maybe a minute and a half too long, right? (laughs) Well, um, come on, you guys are all thinking it. (laughs) Uh, just, yeah, I, I had my um, two crowns replaced, so it's, it's a temporary crown, so I, I might lisp, okay? So it's <laughs> just letting you guys know, okay? But <clears throat> well, we are uh, coming to the conclusion of our sermon series through the book of John, and, and we actually spent the last 12 weeks uh, in this book. And, um, you know, it's one of our longer sermon series. And, and I realized as I was preparing uh, this sermon series uh, and, you know, just this sermon today and also the next one next week, uh, but I realized, man, even though we spent... Um, you know, a a fourth of the year in just this book, uh, there's still so much that we skipped. Uh, There's so much information, there's so many stories, there's so much truth just in the book of John that we were not able to go over. And and I realized just how amazing um, the word of God is, that it is the actual living word of God. And and the fact that we can read it, just this one book for the rest of our lives and and still not have all the time in this life to be able to mine the nuggets of truth and the realities of who uh, Jesus is and what he has done for us, uh, just from one book in the Bible. And and I, I think it really speaks to the fascinating fact that the Bible is the living word of God it is it's it's something that speaks to us in our time now and it will speak to generations in the future it spoke to generations in the past and in every generation it speaks truth it speaks life and it's something where we can never get old. it can never get old it's something that will never ever bore us and i hope that today that as we go through uh, chapter 19 that it is something that will also remind us uh, of of the reality of uh, how the uh, the truth of God's word really compels us to live a life of conviction, compels us to live a life without fear, compels us to live a life that is very distinct and different from what the rest of our culture and the rest of the world uh, prescribes to us. So today, as we go through this passage in John chapter 19, uh, we really see um, the life of Pontius Pilate or the story of Pontius Pilate, and we're gonna see how really uh, he is a man who is driven by fear. He is driven by... um, uh, a lack of understanding of the, eternal, the etern- uh, eternal reality that there is a life after life here on earth. And for a person who is driven by fear, we also see that he's not a man who lives on his convictions but who is uh, you know, swayed to and fro based on what other people say to him and based on what he thinks he will lose if he chooses a certain path. So today we're gonna look at this passage, we're gonna really look at how um, the, the, the fear of our lives can really move us to live a life of very little conviction, to live a very small and safe life that really makes no impact or, or really has no meaning um, uh, to the grand scheme of reality and eternity. And how understanding that Jesus, the Son of God, that when we place our faith and believe that He is the Messiah, that He gives us eternal life, that the, that eternal perspective should really shape and form the decisions that we make in our lives here and how we live our lives here on this earth. So uh, today we're gonna be starting off with the first point which is a life driven by fear. A life driven by fear and I think when I think about Pontius Pilate, uh, the one thing that I realize or one thing that I see is a man who was constantly living in fear. Now um, Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect of the region of Judea. Uh, What that meant was that he was an elected official, elected by the Caesar himself uh, to govern and to oversee a particular region in the Roman Empire. And as the prefect of the region of Judea, this meant that he was in charge of ruling the region while also keeping the peace and alleviating tension. And this area in Judea was a highly tense region as the people of Israel believed that their land was something that was sovereignly given to them by their God. Right? And through, If you guys are familiar with the Old Testament, we understand that you know, the, the land of milk and honey, uh, Canaan, is, is the land that was given to the people of Israel by God himself and they left the land of Egypt, they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years and they actually finally entered into the promised land and even till this day, uh, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of political upheaval over that specific land. So when you get a bunch of people who are uh, so adamant that this land was a, a reward and a blessing from their God, you can see why political tensions would be so high in that area. So Pontius Pilate was a man who was in charge to make sure that he would quell any rebellion, that he would be able to use uh, his political prowess to be able to quell the tensions and to make sure that the people that he is ruling over would not um, you know, have an uprising or a riot which was something that happened a lot in that area. Uh, He came into power in uh, 26 AD, and later he was removed from power because of the very fact that he was unable to control the riots and control the tension in that area. And he was removed from power uh, many years after Jesus was crucified. And what we see in Pilate is not a strong and determined ruler, but one who was really swayed by the threats of the Jewish religious leaders. Um, and, and he was, he was swayed by, by their threats that they would say that, hey, you are no friend of Caesar. Um, that he was swayed by the threats of riots. He was swayed by the threats of the fact that they would, there would be an uprising from the people of Israel to try to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so we see a man who was really driven by fear of this. Basically, he was in fear of, what, losing his position. Losing his position as the governor of Judea. So we see some of the decisions that he makes Uh, It's really driven by fear. In chapter 18, verse 38, he goes on to proclaim to the people of Israel that he finds no guilt in Jesus. And yet later in chapter 19, verse one, the first thing that we read in our passage today is that then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Why would you flog a man that you find innocent? Because he was in fear of the people's reaction if he did not flog him. He was in fear of what the religious leaders, what kind of uprising that they would create. Then in chapter 19, verse four, it says, see I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Again, he proclaims and declares that he views Jesus as a man who was innocent. Then in response, in verse six, it says, when the chief priest and the officer saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him again, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So you, you kind of see, you're kind of, there's, there's kind of like this weird uh, uh, wrestling of, of, of us, like what are, we, what are we supposed to think of Pilate? He almost seems like he is a man who has the sense to know and view the truth. He sees that Jesus is not someone who is guilty, uh, that there's false accusations, and that obviously politically within the Jewish religion, there's people who want to kill Jesus. And then in verse 8, it says that when the Jews answered him, he has made himself the son of God. It says that when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So we get a glimpse and and a little clue here in this verse. Because previously, it never said that Pilate was in fear. It never said that Pilate was afraid. But here in verse 8, it says, once he heard that the Jews were saying that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, Pilate's response was, he is even more afraid. So, so why would he be afraid of this? Why would he be afraid of the statement when it says, oh, Jesus is the son of God, that he's claiming to be the son of God? If I heard that, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's crazy, let's just kill him. No, he was afraid because in Roman and Greek mythology, uh, there is this idea that the gods would come down disguised in human form to test humans, right? The most famous of that story is the story of Bacchus and Philemon. Uh, who welcomed Zeus and Hermes who was you know, disguised as peasants. The story is basically, they, you know, Zeus and Hermes, they disguised themselves as peasants, they were seeing if anyone would welcome them into their home, all the people rejected them except for Bacchus and Philemon, and because of the fact that they were uh, kind and hospitable to Zeus and Hermes, their reward is that they were saved from destruction. So in that, in that era, people assumed, if you're a Roman or, or, or Greek and you believed in those gods, that um, these gods would come down, disguise and test humans on a regular basis. So the very moment that, um, that Pilate heard the claim that the Jews were saying Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, he was driven to even more fear because he thought, wait a second, am I being tested? Is this a God coming in human form to see how I will handle this situation? and the very fear that drove him was that he did not want to be uh, doomed by the gods. He didn't want to be punished by the gods for living in such a way, for, for, for putting an innocent man to, to death, because his main desire was not about upholding truth. His main desire was not about uh, conducting himself according to morality or a certain way. His main desire was to do anything he can to keep his position as a high-ranking official, to be the, the, the governor and prefect of the land of Judea. So we see the decisions that Pilate makes throughout this story is driven by fear of losing his life and status. And the reason why he was driven by this is because for him, he did not have an eternal perspective. He thought everything in this life from the moment of his birth to the uh, end of his life, that that is what mattered most. So he was striving to make sure that those years, that while he's alive on earth, that he would do everything and anything in his power to keep his life, to keep his positions, and to keep his status. I think when we put it that way, uh, we might realize that we and Pilate, we have a lot in common in the way we live our lives in the decisions that we make, right? Because when we talk about a life driven by fear, the majority of us, maybe all of us, uh, in many of the ways that we think, in many of the decisions that we make in life, um, it's really fear-based, right? It's really fear-based. And I'm not talking about like phobias, right? Like, we're not talking about public speaking or claustrophobia. Public speaking is obviously not a phobia of mine, but claustrophobia is. You know, like, you know people who go cave diving and they get stuck in, like, why would you do that? You know, it's the scariest thing ever. But the fear I'm talking about is not those phobias, but it's this idea of the the possibility of losing something that you value in life. The possibility of you not getting or receiving what you are absolutely hoping for. So some of the fears in life that really uh, entangle us are things like the fear for change. Right? A lot of us, we fear change, we want consistency in life. The idea of the unknown really drives us to have anxiety. Uh, I, I read recently that the reason why people watch the same shows over and over again is because it gives them less anxiety. Like they already know what's gonna happen, so people watch The Office over and over again. right? Uh, um, and, and, and because we're afraid of that change. Uh, we are afraid uh, of, of losing uh, things that we value the most. We, we fear things bad happening to us. We fear not getting the job that we really want, or we fear our, our, that our careers would not, are not going in the direction that we are hoping for. We, we fear uh, you know, just the way that people might judge us, or we fear loneliness. Those are, there's so many different fears that this life can really provide us. And, and, and that's not like an opinion that I just came up with. Uh, I, I think it's very biblical. Because you guys know what the number one command in Scripture is? the one that is repeated most above all other commands. It is not about sexuality. It is not about, uh, you know, uh, like greed and money. The number one command that is repeated more than any other command in scripture is, do not be afraid. In the New Testament alone, that command, do not fear or do not be afraid, is written over 70 times because God knows that our inclination, that, that the way that we are going to conduct our lives is oftentimes in fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of missing out, fear of losing out. So when we think about this fear, it, what, what really is it? What really is it? It's really this, uh, an idolatry of our earthly life. That we believe that the most important thing that we can accomplish are things that we can tangibly pinpoint to during our life here on earth. That we wanna maximize the the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we have here. That we wanna make sure that we don't waste our time doing frivolous things, but we want to achieve great success in our careers. That we want to uh, achieve great success with our families. That we want our children to be able to grow up and be raised in a certain way. And for many parents, what is our greatest fear? That something bad will happen to our kids. Right, because I'm, I'm a grown man. My parents are old, and their greatest fear is something bad will happen to me, right? Because I'm, I'm their favorite, you know? And in the same way, like, even with my kids, like, my greatest fear, the things that triggers me and the things that really give me anxiety is I want them to have a good life. I want them to have good relationships. I want them to have you know, a, a good education and, and, and I'm a pastor, I'm like, wait a second, I shouldn't be thinking, that. I should be thinking about the greatest thing for them is that they will have a great relationship with Jesus, that they will glorify him above all things, that above education, above career, above success, that as long as they live their lives for the glory of God's kingdom, that that would be the ultimate indicator of success. And yet, the, every decision that I make for their life is not based upon that ideal of success, but it's based on what the world tells me is a successful childhood good education, good sports, good relationships. Many of us have different fears. Well, what do you fear the most? What is the fear that is, is really embedded in your heart at this time? For many of us, it's the economy, the fear of, of recession and depression, the fear of potentially losing your job and being um, you know, let go, you know, that your companies are, are making huge cuts Maybe your fear is not being accepted into the next program for your education. Maybe your fear is a fear of rejection as you're constantly swiping, I don't know which way you guys swipe on your dating apps, you know, but you're not getting matched in with whoever you wanna get matched with. You're like, oh, I'm almost 30 and I'm not dating. And I'm sure, you know, your parents and grandparents are reminding you every, every, every Christmas and every family. And, and th- those fear drives us to make decisions that are un- becoming of someone who should have an eternal perspective. Second point, I'm gonna make my um, sermon a minute and a half shorter because that performance was a minute and a half too long. Okay? <laughs> Living in fear can lead us to li- li- live a life lacking in conviction and meaning. Okay? Living in fear can lead us to live a life with very little conviction and very little purpose and meaning. One of the greatest travesties in this life, uh, driven by fear, is, is to live a life that is small, uh, to live a life that is meaningless. And what we see in Pilate is a man who is unable to act upon his convictions because he is driven by fear. Right? Again, the convictions that he has is that Jesus is an innocent man, that he does not deserve death. And yet, what does he do? He folds to the pressures of the outside people he folds to this idea that if I do not crucify this innocent man, that I may lose my position, that I may lose my region. And so what does he do? He doesn't live based on the convictions that he has, but he lives based in fear, wanting to gain and keep what is not truly his. We see Pontius Pilate, who cowers before the angry mob, and instead of standing firm for what he believes to be true, ultimately relents to outside pressures. Instead of taking the risk of going against the grain, he chooses the road of safety, he chooses the path of least resistance, and he compromises his own convictions for comfort and safety. Right, Matthew 27 verse 24 says this, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves he saw that if he stood by what he believed was true that he was actually gaining nothing in this world that he would lose it all and because of that he relents he washes his hands he washes his hands and he says i am innocent of this man's blood do with him whatever you wish now I think in many ways, especially for us as believers, if you are a believer today, that we wash our hands of the convictions and truth of God's commands and God's word on a daily basis because we see or we feel that we gain nothing in this life. We value what the things of this world teaches us. We value the hopes and dreams of financial success, of financial comfort, we, we, we value the success of our children. We value uh, the, the hopes of a good retirement. We value the desire to leave a legacy in our name behind by you know, doing something great in this world. And because of that, we wash our hands of the truth and convictions that the Word of God teaches us. Now I believe this is what a a life of conviction should be defined and how it should be defined. It means living one's life in accordance to one's deep beliefs and core values. That it requires not just a verbal and mental declaration of those beliefs and values, but an active pursuit to live life according to those beliefs and values. This means that a person is willing to uphold their beliefs and values even against outside pressures. And it is a consistent striving to live out those beliefs and values, even if and when those beliefs and values becomes very unpopular. It requires courage to live this way, especially when faced with a possibility that your beliefs and values may go against the societal norms of your culture and your community. And I think when it's, we define conviction in that way, uh, and if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we can see why Christians, are seen as big hypocrites because we don't really live by the uh, convictions and the declarations of our faith, but rather we declare it but live very accordingly to the hopes and values of this world. There is very little distinction between the life of a Christian in in our circle and what we're hoping for and what we place all of our time and energy into. There's no distinction between us and our neighbors who may not be believers. The only difference is sometimes we stand up on our soapbox and we declare very, you know, faith-based things. And the reason why is because we do not stand and live by our convictions because we are afraid of what we would be seen or looked upon as by the people around us. That if we actually stand according to the Bible and according to what it is commanded, uh, that we will be seen as religious fanatics. And I think one of the very convictions that I think we lack, um, and and when I say we, I'm I'm including myself as well, but one of the main things that we lack in in our conviction as Christians is that we live a life focused not on the kingdom of God, but in our own kingdoms. We live a, a life of safety, hoping to make sure that there will be no uprising that will hinder the safety of our little kingdoms just like Pilate, our little region, we wanna make sure that we keep that for ourselves. Because I think one of the biggest fears for every Christian is the idea that when we actually live according to God's command, that he calls us to make disciples of all nations, that he calls us to be a witness about him, his truth and his glory, that the response would be, oh, there goes another religious fanatic. And there's so many slippery slopes to that, right? Like if you're a religious fanatic, are you gonna be uh, passed up for a promotion? Are people gonna complain that you are, uh, you know, proselytizing at church or at work? Are are people gonna think that you are just kind of like this weirdo and and, and not really take you seriously? Will people take advantage of you? and, And there's so many different fears that we have, but the reality is that when we understand what we are called to, and if we truly desire to live a life of conviction, that we should not have fear of the repercussions that face us. Even if, you know, I mean, and, and, and there might be repercussions, there might not be repercussions, I don't know. But there should be no fear of it because we understand that our life is not just the time that we spend here on this earth, but the, spend, uh, the time that we spend here on this earth is but a small fraction of the eternal life that we have in Christ. But the reality and the unfortunate reality is this. Many of the decisions that we make in life are not based on the convictions that we have through scripture. But it's based on seeking to keep our lives as comfortable as possible. I mean, why do we, why do we choose to live where we live? Because we want the best life for ourselves. Why do we choose to apply or, or change teams or, or, or move jobs? because we want the best for our own little kingdom. Why do we choose the schools for our kids? We want the best for their success. Right? And every decision that we make, you have to ask ourselves, is it based on the convictions of truth that is spoken in scripture, or is it because we live a life seeking small safety and small comforts in our lives? I think it really um, speaks to the fact that when Jesus says (laughs) that he who ever saves his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it is so true that the more we try to hold on to this life here on earth, we actually end up losing the life that is given to us by Christ because we end up living small lives, small lives that make zero impact for the kingdom of God but may give us a lot of comfort for our life here on earth. So our last point is this, uh, and and as we finish off in this sermon, if if the worship team needs to come up to to prepare the stage, you may do so at this time. Um, Jesus conquers our fear. In contrast to Pontius Pilate, we see Jesus, who lives completely according to his convictions, with no fear um, that there isn't more to this life than this life. He understands the, the eternal perspective uh, of, of eternal life, right? Uh, when Pilate says to him, so you, you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. When, when Pilate asks this question to Jesus, Jesus does not cower. He does not fear. He does not fear the response that his answer will receive, but instead he stands firm upon the conviction and the purpose that he was sent to this world, to be a witness. Right? In chapter 19, verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Here's Pilate threatening Jesus. Like, hey, you should be afraid of me. You should be afraid of me, I have the power and authority to kill you or to let you live. And Jesus' response is you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Here is a man who did not cower in fear, but he understood that his life here on this earth was meant to serve a purpose, to have meaning, that he would stand upon the convictions and the purpose of truth that he had come to live, to die, and to resurrect from the dead. And for God who has created all things, Jesus understood that nothing was outside of the control of God the Father. And it was about the sixth hour. In Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says this: It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun lights failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He understood that he would give his life and that his life would be in the hand of the Father. That there was no fear, that there was no anxiety, that he did not believe for one second that what he was doing went against the the greatest purpose of what God had in store. That even the world would see something as a great failure, that he's arrested and crucified, that he understood that everything was in the hand of the Father. I may have invited um, you guys up a little too early, but um, with that we'll end and we'll continue on in our service. If you could take some time um, just to reflect on this passage.